pray together. Our Father, we want to continue to hear the sound of your great name. Thank you for the sound of your great name in music. And Lord, we bless you today. We thank you that you are a great and a powerful God. We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for uh, families and what you have done for us and providing children. And Lord, we thank you for the next generation that's coming along and being raised up as a mighty force to serve the living Christ. And Father, I pray for parents today that you would strengthen them and help them, and and that may they not become discouraged in well-doing, but may they continue to press on and be encouraged that the Lord is at work. And I pray, Father, that today you will give us um, guidance from your word that will help us to once again understand the urgency and and requirements and opportunities that you have granted to, to parents, in particular moms. Father, we thank you for our mothers. We thank you for their sacrificial uh, lives that they've lived before us. And Lord, we pray today that you would choose to inspire uh, this uh, generation of women to to, um, uh, continue the cause of Christ and continue to battle for the hearts of their children, Lord, against a world that's trying to pull them away. And so, Lord, we know that it requires your strength. This is a powerful battle. But uh, our God is the Lord, and the battle is the Lord's. And so, Father, I pray that you would just empower women in a profound way and give them new resolve from your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I I launch into um, what God has laid on my heart this morning, I'm looking around, and, and I'm just not totally satisfied with the seating arrangements this morning, and uh, something needs to be done. I see a bunch of kids sitting by themselves, not with their mothers. Are you guys, like, I love when you're sitting here. It's, it's, I think it's wonderful that you're over here on Sundays. But today, I was thinking that you might be sitting with your mother. So here's my deal. If there's any mothers out there, hello, hello. If the, is that my mom calling to say... Um, if there are any mothers out here who want to claim any one of these ragamuffins <laughs> and you'd like them to come and sit with you, well, why don't you just wave your hand right now? You, you, they're, they're going over there. I, I, come on, let's go. You're being claimed. You're being summoned. Let's go. Let's go, guys. Hey, Ben, get going, man. And... Uh, and there was, a Howard, there was a Howard claim over here, too. Where, is Jacob over here somewhere? Where is he, Hyde? Come on, buddy, get going. You've been pulled over. And, and I, I see a bike have mother at the back there. Come on, brother, let's go. Let's go, man. Out you get. Got anybody else claiming any of these ragamuffins? Hey, come on, there's some more, there's some more hands going up here. What about Hooper? There's not enough room. We can make room for Hooper. The couple right there, you wouldn't mind moving to the row right in front, would you? Just one more, just move down one more row, and then I can put Hooper, I can put Hooper in that row. Guys, this is creative ushering, all right? This is how it works. Hooper, you got room to go sit beside your mother. Because right now your brother has got the inside track, and you don't want that to happen. 
All right, ladies, I've done the best I can. Anybody else want somebody over here? Because I'm making it happen. I feel like Oprah Winfrey this morning. Did Bikev not show up? Okay, let's go. All right. That's good. Okay, it's looking a lot better now. I'm feeling, I'm feeling it now. I'm feeling them. I got to get in the Mother's Day mood. How can I deliver a Mother's Day sermon unless I get in that Mother's Day mood? So, uh, listen, I want you to know that um, when it comes to talking about women and, and uh, clearly the, um, the contribution that women make to the advance of the kingdom of Christ is beyond uh, just motherhood. Motherhood is huge, but let's, let's understand that, that what women are all about and what God does through your lives is, is broader and bigger than motherhood. And so we understand that, that there's, there are women here this morning who are being absolutely amazingly used by God. You may not be a, a mom, but today's Mother's Day. And so if, if you'll allow me to, I'd really like to share particular, very focused ministry uh, from God's Word to moms today. Um, by the way, though, there's a lot here for kids if you have a mom, then there's something here for you, and uh, dads can listen in too because it's God's word and there's something about parenting that I think we really need to, to embark on today. Here's the good news, uh, mom. Um, I, I did some, some work with, uh, with Barna and uh, George Barna and his statistics, and I want to share some thoughts with you. Here, here's, here's the good news. Um, compared to men, women are more likely to communicate about faith prioritize activities that develop their faith and that of their children. And, of course, they're more vulnerable about their needs and their emotions. We all know about that. But I, I think the cool thing is, is that, that, uh, that moms really uh, step it up spiritually. But, but here's the not-so-good news that, that I want to share with you that uh, is, is in the, in the uh, horizon. And that is that buster moms... And, and buster, by, by buster moms, I mean moms who are 27 to 45 years of age exhibit less passion for spirituality and less commitment to Christianity compared to boomer moms. Boomer moms are 46 to 64. Uh, for instance, young moms are less likely to volunteer to help at church, to read the Bible, or to attend worship services at church. And it is actually showing on the next generation of kids. In fact, um, another alarming statistic is that in the Mosaic generation, and the Mosaics are a shorter window of 22 to 26-year-olds, 80% of females in that age group become moms without a husband. 80%. So I think you can see by the the reports that are out there that the whole issue of motherhood and family is not going in the right direction. And, and by the way, these surveys are not, these surveys are, 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 are broad. There are, Christians are involved in these surveys, the, the survey numbers as well. And so um, survey results, of course, are one thing, and they're very important. But what we find in God's word, of course, is how impactful parenting is upon the next generation in terms of their likelihood of serving the Lord with passion. And um, we shouldn't be surprised about that because that's God's design. 
That's what's found throughout all of Scripture. If you wouldn't mind turn, turning with me today, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. I want to look at three verses this morning in Proverbs and a few, few other places. But um, I, I want to, I want to um, point out this morning just how important is mom anyway in terms of the, the next generation of people who are being raised in their likelihood of loving the Lord. And, and from the book of Proverbs and from the combination of what we find when we, when we do surveys and study the culture, I, I think we can agree that mother is the spiritual fire starter. It's a tremendous burden and a tremendous responsibility, but a pr- tremendous privilege, moms, of influence that you have. And I think you know this already, but it's important, I think, that God's word confirm it to us. That the family is the most central, is the central most important unit in spiritual influence. We all agree on that. And mom's role is irreplaceable. When the Apostle Paul was describing Timothy, the young minister in, in the book of Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he writes this to him. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, And in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. And then he talks a little bit more about Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy in verse 14 and 15. And he says this, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it, your grandmother and your mother. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no question, and Paul leaves, it, uh, leaves no question as to the origin of Timothy's faith, of his passion for Christ. It was, it was from the heritage of his mom and his grandmother. And how from infancy he was brought into the, the setting of of Christian passion. Now, um, the whole concept of making disciples, I think, shows motherhood at the core of this command and commitment. And so I want to talk to you this morning about the power of motherhood to affect eternity. I, I still remember hearing the, in fact, I can still hear the voice, the little squeaky voice in my own uh, over the phone, I was, I was out of town, and on the other end of the line, I heard this, Daddy, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and it was great, and on the other end of the line is a little tiny punk who his mother had just led him to the Lord, and he phoned me and told me that he, he'd, come to, he'd, he'd become a Christian. Uh, it was the impact and influence of his mom, who had this great privilege of, of leading Graydon to the Lord. And I, I mean, think about it, moms, and, and many of you have experienced this reality in your own lives as well. Not only are you the one instrumental in giving them birth, giving them life, but, but to be used of God to give them and to bring them into new birth, to bring them into a, a, a new relationship with Christ, to, to not only give them life, but to be used of God as an instrument to give them eternal life. What a privilege. What an amazing thing that motherhood is. What a great mother Lynn is. And by the way, this doesn't happen accidentally. There's a plan and a strategy that's laid out for us here in the scriptures. It's throughout the scriptures, but I want to take this little nugget this morning. The strategy, of course, the spiritual impact 
that is, you are so able to influence moms, which is set out by God and is to be adopted by godly parents. And, in spe- and specifically, this morning, I want to talk about godly moms. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there are 76,650 parenting books out there. Can you imagine? But here's the meat. Here's the book. Here's the real one. And by the way, there's lots of good tactics and strategies in many of the parenting books that are out there. Some are horrendous. You better be a good editor. But not of the Bible. So in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, 8, 9, here's what we find. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Mom, this is your calling. I want to talk to you this morning about And it starts out this way. From this text, great beginnings impact all of life. That's what I find here is great beginnings impact all of life. By the way, that's just a shameless picture I've got up there. That's the cutest looking baby I've ever seen in my life. And and just a a great looking mom. And, um, And by the way, Krista did this. I had nothing to do with it. Great beginnings impact all of life. Now, by the way, what are we talking about here? In the idea of beginnings here as first and primary and foundational, the controlling principle of of the whole of life. I'm not talking here about, about a phase that you grow out of. That's what was pointed out in Paul's discussion about Timothy. He said, from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures. And then he says to him, so continue on with what you have received, Timothy. It's this aspiration, how life is understood. Now, what is it that great beginnings are all about? Mom, you ready? It's about demonstrating to your children the fear of the Lord. It is the great and first principle. It is the controlling principle of their whole life. It is to instill the urgency of knowing God as God in your life. It's, by the way, not so much a right way of thinking, although it is that, as it is a right way of relating. A right way of relating. By the way, the word here, fear the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, the introduction, the revelation of God who, grant, who gave his name to Moses at Mount Sinai when Moses said, who, who shall I say is sending? And he said, tell them I am that I am. That's, that's what Lord is. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament scriptures, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it's Yahweh, I am that I am. The God who has revealed himself. By the way, we're going to pick this up next week, and I'm going to begin a series starting right from Mount Sinai, I am that I am. It's, it's actually God presenting himself as the covenantal God, the covenant-keeping God, the God who has revealed himself, not hidden himself. So moms, don't hide God from your children. This is a God who has revealed himself as God, God over the universe, and has revealed himself as a covenant-keeping God. Do you understand what that means? That the God of the universe has obligated himself to contractual agreements of relationship with us. 
And he intends to stick to them. God doesn't have to do that. It's a complete act of his grace. The God of the universe, the one who created all, he doesn't have to obligate himself to anything. But he contractually obligates himself by covenant to his people. And so the mother teaches her child that this God, the God who is, the God who has, has revealed himself, the God who has, has made, come into co- covenant with those who love him, this God we are to worship and to be subject to. It's not so much just the right way of thinking as a right way of relating and mom, you're the one who sets the pace for that. You teach your children that this God is the God we, we worship. A li- and it's to be a life founded on revelation. A life founded on revelation. What God has said, the revealed will of God. Over all other disciplines, over all other sal- uh, sen- sensations, over all other arguments and pretenses that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, and there will be plenty of them. Your children, every day of their lives, as you throw them out of the nest, are out there hearing all kinds of arguments and pretense that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. But you have set the foundation. You established to them that our God has revealed his will to us. And when they come to you and they say, but mom, this is how it looks, you turn around and turn, turn to them and say, but this is how it is. We are not basing our faith on sight. We live by faith. Blind faith? No. Revealed. God has revealed himself to us. The revelation of God is where our faith comes from. And by the way, looks can be deceiving. If any generation knows that, it's our generation, this technological generation. We can, with a little bit of Photoshop and a little bit of here and a little bit there, we can make anything look like anything we want it to look like. Revelation, the will of God, is the bedrock, it's the foundation, it's the guiding principle. Mom, God has put you in a position to produce children as John Piper puts it, who have a God-centered, Christ-treasuring view of life. That's what this means. And and by the way, I don't know if you noticed in the second part, the couplet of the verse in verse 7, but this is how not to raise a fool. The Proverbs have a lot to say about foolishness. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Uh, The fool is, is one who is naive mentally, and irresponsible morally. They're easily deceived and seduced. By the way, it's a chosen direction, not a physical uh, deficiency. In verse 29 of Proverbs 1, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Great beginnings impact all of life to instill the urgency of knowing God as God. The fool becomes a menace to the kingdom and brings sorrow to his parents in Proverbs 10, 1, 17, 21, 17, 25. 
So mom, impact them toward belief and behavior that honors God. Put the fear of the Lord in them. Did you, did you have a mom who put the fear of the Lord in you? I, I, I don't know that, I, that anybody had a more loving mom than I've had. But she knew how to put the fear of the Lord in you. In the right way. By the way, this is not the dread of God. No, no, no. But, but a mom who's, who's drawing from this well of God's riches is one who, who, who teaches that, that God is not to be responded to passively. He, he's not one who's just a ho-hum, whatever, I'll keep my mouth shut and let spiritual things pass me by. No, this is, this is a mom who, who impacts her family with a, with a God who, who's to be served and, and to be worshipped and to be actively engaged in. Great beginnings impact all of life. Now, if from the beginning and every day thereafter, mom, you impress upon their hearts to be worshippers, subjects of God's headship, God's lordship, it'll set you up with a key resource for exceptional influence in your family's life. And that key resource is the revelation of God's truth, the revelation of God's will. I, I don't think it'll surprise any of us that more results from Barna show that that individuals, or sorry, the odds of one sticking with faith over a lifetime are enhanced by, in a positive direction by spiritual activity under the age of 18. I don't think that's a surprising uh, result to any of us. But maybe you weren't aware of some of the serious realities about the frequency, moms, of your spiritual passion. The truth is that the children of the mom who has insisted upon their children going to church every single week and receiving religious instruction every week up to age 12 ensures that their child will be, 50% of their children will be in church today. Now you might say, well, that's not really high numbers. Believe me, the, the alternative where church or religious instruction are a hit and miss is significantly lower than that. In fact, one-third only. And by the way, moms, the moms who have insisted on their children and have driven the engine of their children being in religious instruction and at church weekly up to age 18, 60% of those moms can count on their child being in church today as a grown person. And the results are below one-third if that's not the case. I can tell you that my mom was militant about church. And, you know, I, I know that in the early days, my dad, my dad, you know, I've said a lot about him, how godly he is and, and, and a great leader and a great father and all that and loved me to death. But I can tell you that I know it was my mom because she was more of a disciplined person. It was my mom who rigidly made sure everybody was getting to church in the early years of our lives, and then my dad basically took over, and the two of them were non-negotiable. And nothing came before it. Nothing. Not sports, not school, 
nothing. It was in the school of fearing the Lord and serving him only. Serving him as first and foremost. And, and, and uh, it'd be great if my mom could be here today, but she'll listen to this CD, I'm sure. I love her for what her and my dad built into our lives. And, and what is this then, this great key resource, moms, that you have? It says here, do not, verse 8, forsake your mother's teaching. Great teaching holds from a distance. Okay, great beginnings are, are, are impacting for a, a lifetime, but, but great teaching holds from a distance. By the way, the, the, the Proverbs teach us that, that a fool must be transformed early. In, in, in Proverbs chapter 22 and, and verse 15, it says here, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. You get that? When they're born, they're, they're born, I'm sorry, they're born foolish. There, there is a natural propensity in a human being's life to be foolish. But the rod of discipline will drive it far away. A, a fool must be transformed early. Fools despise their godly parents, Proverbs 15, 20. So moms, start right away to connect yourself with the wisdom of God and, and, and in your beliefs and in your behavior that your children will see and learn to respect that you fear the Lord and you'll make a case to be respected yourself so that your teachings to them make a difference. Now, by the way, this word teaching here is the word Torah. So it narrows down what we're talking about. This isn't teaching them how to cook in the kitchen and vacuum and clean the toilets. As much as all of those things are probably important for people to learn. Now this is a very focused kind of teaching, a very specific kind of teaching. This is Torah. Torah, you know, is scripture. It's the word of God. But it has a modifier to it. Mother's Torah. Mother's Torah. Now, what, what could that possibly mean? Well, it, it really means that, that mom is the first one in a child's life to teach biblical application. It is, it is mom taking the scriptures and giving home life teachings from a biblical perspective. It is mom who becomes the first one who answers the so what of the scripture. When the kids show up with the Bible and they read that verse, they say, mom, so what? what? What's this mean? It means, well, it, here's what it means. It means that God loves you and God has a plan for your life and this is what God wants you to do with this. This is how God wants you to apply it to your life because godly moms know that for the word of God to transform a child's life, for God to transform a child's life using the word of God, he has to, or she has to do the word of God. That's how transformation takes place. And so it's mom, mother's Torah, mom's application, mom's biblical life instruction, mom's teaching in biblical perspectives that trains up a child to live the scriptures. That's what this means. And by the way, kids, young people, do not forsake your mother's Torah. Okay, it's a command. Do not forsake your mother's Torah, the teachings of your mom. Powerful to transform the, the ways God uses to grow. 
is the setting of the family unit. All other agencies, by the way, are supplementary. The church is supplementary to the powerful work of parenting. That's our vision here. I know it's Pastor Calvin's vision here as leader in that, that ministry area. It is a parent's responsibility, the parent's passion. You have the first role, first responsibility, first influence, first impact, and ongoing impact in your child's lives. The church can't fix what the home wrecks. It just can't. Now, um, what specifically, moms, should you teach? Well, all of God's word, obviously. But I think what this means is you're to instill in your child's life a biblical world view. You understand what that means? That means you teach your children to look at the whole world through the lens of the Bible. They look at everyday life, everyday decision through the lens of the Bible. They look at everyday life and everyday decisions through the lens of God, the fear of the Lord. That's what it means, Mom. Give them a biblical worldview. By the way, Christian Bible College after Christian Bible College is reporting that the kids that are showing up are not showing up with a biblical worldview. They're showing up more and more biblically illiterate. That's not a church problem. That's a family problem. I want to give you 10 things, mom, practically, that I think will produce a biblical worldview, okay? Now, I'm not giving you a list, by the way, so, but, and you probably can't write it down fast enough, but I, if you're really interested in it, you just go to the office and ask for expanded notes, and they're all there for you, so you can have that. But let me just say first, first that I believe that this is what you teach your children. Teach your kids that people were created for spiritual purposes, right? Teach them that that's what they were, that, that whatever they do in life, their vocation will be an advertisement of their values. No, it doesn't matter what they do in life. They serve God by advertising who is Lord of their lives and what really matters. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, children, whether we eat or whether we drink or whatsoever we do, we're going to do it to the glory of God. Whether you're a plumber or a salesman or, or a, a doctor or a lawyer or a pastor or a missionary, whatever you are in life, we're going to do it to the glory of God. Our vocation is going to advertise our value and who we value. We were made for spiritual purposes, kids. 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing to the Corinthians and saying that, that you were made for this very reason, which is why the Holy Spirit has been given to you as a guarantee, a, a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And what was he talking about? That we would be with the Lord forever. That we were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That is who we are. That's our purpose. Mom, from the very beginning, from the cradle on, as they're in your arms, they were made for God. They were made to love God. They were made to glorify God. They were made for spiritual purposes. Secondly, that they would know and love and serve God as a priority of their lives. Matthew 12, 22, 37 that they would have faith in God, Hebrews eleven six, 6. 
By the way, it's not about building into their lives a gigantic faith. It's about building into their lives a gigantic vision of God. It's God that matters. It's teaching them that God can do anything, that with God there's nothing is impossible. It's teaching them that their God is a great and powerful and a mighty God, and he's worthy to have faith in. That'll give them a biblical worldview. It's to teach them that there is absolute moral truth. It exists. John 17, 17. Your word is truth, Jesus said. It's defined in the Bible. Teach them, moms, that God is an all-knowing, all-powerful creator, ruler, God over the universe. Luke 1, 37. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Teach them, moms, to have faith in Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation. There is no other name given among men, given under heaven among men, whereby we may be saved, Acts 4, 12. There is no other name. They're being told other than that all over the place. Give them a biblical worldview. Teach them that Satan is real and that he's prowling around day and night, desiring to steal their hearts away from fearing the Lord. First Peter 5, 8. Teach them that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, was raised again, is qualified to be Savior, and is coming back again to receive us unto himself. Teach them that. Teach them that all principles of Scripture are true and accurate, 2 Timothy 3.16. And teach them that Christ loves his church, Ephesians 5.25. And so they ought to get in on it fully, worshiping, praying, serving, accountable, studying, Hebrews 10.25. Those 10 principles will build a biblical worldview into your children's lives. How serious are these things? In verse 10 of Proverbs chapter 1, it says, My son, if sinners entice you, moms, Satan exists 24 7, 365 to take your children. He is lying in wait for your kid's heart. There are opposite forces arrayed against your family with unusual ferocity. This is not a neutral world, contrary to what is proposed out there. Let's just live and let live. Not in your life. Satan is out to steal, kill, and destroy. There's only one way to live, abundantly living in Jesus Christ. One writer puts it this way, children are going to meet others going in the opposite direction of the fear of the Lord who will encourage them to do likewise. If you commit yourself passionately to great beginnings which are not a phase that you grow out of a foundation for whole living and you invest your life in great teaching mothers Torah, and they're never too old for you to teach them ever I think the word of God here promises great rewards they will be a garland, verse 9, to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Great rewards come from dressing the kids in God's ways. 
One of the battlegrounds that I've grown up or seen around our house is when the unmovable object of a child's desire in clothing meets the irresistible force of a mom's will. Have you seen that thing happen anywhere? <laughs> oh man, that shows up lots of times. When it comes to a modesty issue, yeah, fight. But don't sweat most of it. But there are some things to sweat over, moms. There are some things to fight for. And how your children are dressed spiritually is something you got to fight for. And it's worth fighting for. And I mean you got to fight your kids for it sometimes. Sometimes you're going to be the person who they least like at least for a half an hour or so. Or maybe longer. Has anybody here ever been not liked by their kids? <laughs> Is anybody presently not liked by their kids? <laughs> Insist on doing whatever it takes to make their life and character attractive. The payoff is forever. I, I know there's nothing like a mother's fight. Man, you take on a mother, you are asking for big, big trouble. I've learned that over pastoring for a few years. Don't you take on, don't you mess with mom. Well, I'm telling you what, that's a good thing. Don't be messed with. Don't be messed with on spiritual stuff. Don't give up. Don't stop fighting. No matter where they are and what situation they're at, no matter where they are spiritually, don't give up. Don't lay down and and concede. Don't wave any white flags ever. Fight for your kids. Proverbs 22 6 says, Train up a child and the way he will go, and when he or she is old, they will not depart from it. I, I really think that there's been a lot of ink spilled in descriptions and interpretations of how that is, but I'm telling you that, that can I suggest to you that I think a helpful description of what that might look like is treat your kid like they're a little plant. You got to put a stake beside them once in a while and tie them on it. You, you, you know what? You got to take out the clipping shears once in a while. And you got to cut that thing up a little bit. You got to you got to prune them a little bit. Okay, I'm talking about. And then and then you might, if you do all of that with all of your heart, with all of your passion, they might grow up with a sturdy direction. I can tell you what. If you don't do any of that, forget it. It won't surprise you if I jump back at uh, George Barna for one more, one more round here to tell you that parenting style matters. I, I'm calling, I think the scriptures are calling you to be straightforward with your kids, to be direct, to be consistent, to be insistent. Do not try to tell them what they want to hear so that you can be friend-like. God's not called us moms and dads to be friends. Mom, he's not called you to be friend. He's called you to be mother. It's a way higher calling. It's a way bigger promotion. Now, if friend comes out of it, that's a blessing. I'd like to think that my kids are my friends or that I'm their friend, I guess you'd have to ask them. But I never set out to be their friend, not ever. Not one day of my life. 
Because to be their friend, I would have had to compromise way too much. No, I was given a responsibility to be their dad. And moms, your responsibility is to be their mom. It's a higher calling. Sometimes they just aren't going to like you. Sometimes they're not going to like what you tell them. Parenting style, God's way, has a direct implication on whether or not your children are going to follow the Lord for the rest of their lives. Barna has written a book called Revolutionary Parenting. Of all the 76,650 books, this might be the best one. I don't know. I haven't read it, but I've read some stuff. I think Murray's going to get it in the library. He usually does when he hears me say something like this. There are three basic categories that he talks about. And with this, we'll wrap it up. He talks about parenting by default. It's uh, what Barna terms the path of least resistance parenting. In this approach, parents do whatever comes naturally to the parent as influenced by cultural norms and traditions. The objective is to keep everyone, parent, child, and others, as happy as possible without having the process of parenting dominate other important or prioritized aspects of the parent's life. That's, that's abdicating the role. That's not parenting. Parenting by default, but frankly, that's what I see increasingly around me. I, I see, now let, let's, just, let's just keep Sally happy. Let's just do whatever it takes to make her happy. It just drives me crazy, <laughs> parenting by default. We weren't giving kids to make them happy. <laughs> who, who ever thought that? Who in the world came up with that idea? They don't make us happy. Why should we make them happy? We were brought into this world to make their lives miserable. That's our job. Then there's trial and error parenting. Now, quite honestly, I think I'm a I'm certain amount of guilt or responsibility for trial and error. I mean, I'm a first child. All first kids are messed up, right? Because it was, it was all trial and error for us, wasn't it? But trial and error parenting, here's, there's a, it's a, if, as a strategy, is not a good one. It's a common alternative. This approach is based on the notion that every parent is an amateur at raising children. Guilty. There are no absolute guidelines to follow. That's not true. And that the best that parents can do is to experiment, observe outcomes, and improve based upon their successes and failures in child rearing. In this incremental approach, the goals of parenting are to continually improve and to perform better than most other parents. Thank you, Dr. Benjamin Spock. That's why we have a bunch of kids in the mall throwing temper tantrums and nobody wants to do anything about it. I want it, I want it, I want it. You know, give me that kid for five seconds. better edit this for fear our, <laughs> fear our political system will come down hard on me. That's not, that's not what, there, there is an absolute guideline. Barna's talking about revolutionary parenting. It really, it really should be classical parenting. It really should just be called biblical parenting. But he's calling it revolutionary. You know why? Because it's rare. Even in church. Revolutionary parenting 
is the least common approach that's being used by parents today. Such nurturing requires the parent to take God's words on life and family at face value and to apply those words faithfully and consistently. Who's in for that? You in for that? I mean, that's what God is calling us to. And by the way, parenting by default and trial and error parenting are both approaches that enable parents to raise their children without the effort of defining their life. Well, you know, I, I don't want to unduly influence my children. I want them to grow up and make their own decisions in life. I, you know, I, if they want to believe in God, I want to give them that every opportunity. If they don't want to believe in God, well, I certainly wouldn't want to violate their conscience. I don't want to have anything to do with defining the life of my children. Oh, God forbid that I do that. You shouldn't have been given children. (laughs) We are called by God's word to drive folly far from the hearts of our children so that they will live a life of loving and serving and blessing God and so that we'll get to spend life in eternity together. And I'm willing to do anything to see morally and biblically to see that happen for my family. And I think you are too. And I think we gotta be counterculture. We gotta push back this stuff that is gonna raise a generation of people who will be godless and hateful and destructive. Give them something, mom and dad, mom, not to forsake when they're tempted from a distance from the family, like college. What do you get? They'll get a garland of grace on their head. You know what that is? That their brain is decorated with the things of God. You look at your kid and the people look at your kid, they say, that kid's got a garland of grace on his head. That's what I want. And they got a chain, a beautiful chain around their neck of attractive character, the character of Christ. That's what you get for this. That's why you do great beginnings and great teaching. Because out of it comes great rewards. Fight for it, Mom. Fight for their moral and spiritual lives. It's worth whatever you have to do to fight for it. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning that you'll give great courage to moms here today. Shore up where they're weak and have failed. Don't let them be discouraged. Lord, pick them up by the Holy Spirit. Put a new energy of resolve and commitment. I pray that the next generation might raise, be raised up and not only call their moms blessed, but call the Lord blessed. Will there be faith on this earth when Jesus comes? Well, you've given the responsibility to moms and dads. All power comes from God. All change comes from God. But you've chosen to use instruments of parenting. To make a difference. Please help us too, Lord. I pray in this Mother's Day. For Jesus' sake. Amen.